Chapter Five of Wise and Otherwise. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Wise and Otherwise by Pansy. Chapter Five. The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright. Dire was the dismay, many and varied the exclamations, with which the report of Mrs. Tyndall's mission was greeted. How perfectly hateful, said Miss Charlotte Wilcox, biting off her thread with energy. Just exactly what I expected, burst from Mrs. Hughes, in great indignation. In justice to Mr. Tresevant, be it said that Mrs. Hughes represented that class of people who expect just exactly what has taken place, and are therefore never taken by surprise. She didn't state what were her reasons for being in this condition of expectation. That class of people never do. But what in the name of common sense is the reason of his disapproval? was Mrs. Williams' earnest question. Mrs. Williams was one of the most earnest little women in the society, and spoke as she worked with energy. He didn't inform me, Mrs. Tyndall answered dryly, going on with her hemming with commendable industry. Then I should have asked him, sputtered Miss Charlotte. I don't believe in being treated like a company of babies. He can, at least, tell us why he disapproves. Mrs. Douglas here found voice for the first time. Frank, did you tell him that there are no ring cakes or grab bags or any of the belongings of gambling saloons to be connected with it? No, I didn't. I thought he would take that for granted. He might not. It is not so many ages since we indulged in that sort of thing or tried to. Don't you remember the trials that Dr. Mulford was called upon to endure in that line? That may be just the trouble, Mrs. Williams said, with a lightening up of her disturbed face. Somebody might go and explain that we are to be as proper as an army of deacons. Mrs. Tyndall, will you try it again? It seems a pity to drop the whole thing for nobody knows what, when we have it so nicely arranged. A peculiar flash of Mrs. Tyndall's bright eyes reminded Mrs. Douglas very forcibly of Frank Hooper. She answered promptly, Excuse me, Mrs. Williams, I've served my time, and my eloquence proved so unavailing that I'm utterly cast down. Try someone else. Then they all with one accord pounced upon Mrs. Sales. She was just the person. Mr. Tresevant boarded with her. She was better acquainted with him than any of them. Mrs. Sales earnestly protested, He hears and sees so much of me, ladies. I am obliged to explain all your faults and failings to him, you know. I am certain he must be heartily tired of my tongue. And Mrs. Douglas arose hurriedly and announced her willingness to undertake the mission for the sake of giving them a change of subject. She came back very soon, a heightened color in her cheeks, and with less to say for herself than Mrs. Tyndall had. Is it all right? Was that the trouble? Have you made the way smooth? were the questions that three eager ladies asked at one and the same moment. No, on the contrary, it is all wrong. That is not the trouble, and I'm sure I don't know what is, only we must give the matter up. That's always the way, Mrs. Hughes complained, though in truth that had never been the way before. Get all ready to do a thing and then have to give it up, just for somebody's notion. I wouldn't do any such thing. Neither would I, Miss Charlotte said in great indignation. It is too absurd to be treated in this way. The group of ladies had increased from time to time, and now comprised several of the efficient workers of the church, all in various stages of indignation. They all talked at once, as ladies will do when they are interested, and thereby proved their remarkable fitness for public life. It was rather difficult to tell what anybody said by reason of the clamor of tongues. 
Mrs. Tyndall was occupied in making serial comic remarks at the very persons by whom she was surrounded, but they were too much excited to stop for laughter. Mrs. Douglas contented herself with very brief sentences, thrown in here and there when she was personally appealed to. Only Mrs. Sayles sat in absolute silence, with the trouble in her eyes deepening every moment. Mrs. Roberts, one of the late arrivals, finally sent a loaded shell into their midst. Let's go right straight on with our preparations and carry the thing through. We are not obliged to pin ourselves to his notions. I say so too, chimed in Miss Wilcox. He needn't be so ridiculous. There is nothing to find fault with, I'm sure, Mrs. Williams said, inclining strongly to the popular side. Then Mrs. Sayles lifted up her gentle voice. Of course, ladies, you are not in earnest, else there would speedily be something to find fault with in our own conduct. I never was more in earnest in my life, Mrs. Roberts declared with spirit. I don't see why Mr. Tresevant should have control over us. That would be sufficient if we were Catholics and he the priest. I think as much, said Miss Charlotte. I trust we all have control over our own hearts, and have too much respect for our church and our pastor to be willing to do anything in deliberate opposition to his expressed opinion. Mrs. Sayles' voice was so low and gentle that it reminded one of a soft, quiet shower in the midst of an August heat. I'm sure I think as much of our church and our pastor as anybody can, Mrs. Williams said, just a trifle subdued, but I declare I think he might give us one reason for upsetting our plans in this fashion. I believe in following our own conscience and not pinning ourselves to any man, Mrs. Roberts delivered herself of this relevant sentence with great dignity, and it served as fuel. The flames began to leap up high. Liberty of conscience is the subject under debate, said Mrs. Tyndall, with a very grave face. Our conscience insists upon having an old folk supper, and will be appeased with nothing else, even if we have to sacrifice our pastor and our tempers to secure it. Whereupon several of the ladies stopped to laugh, but Mrs. Hughes fluttered into the lull. If you begin that way, you may expect to go on so. Never do anything that you want to. Mrs. Sayles, said Mrs. Williams desperately, do you think we ought to give it all up? Mrs. Sayles laughed pleasantly. I do not think there is a question in the minds of any of us as to that, when we give ourselves a chance to think quietly, she said gently. Have we really not confidence enough in the man whom we, as a church, have called to be our shepherd, to believe that he has good and sufficient reasons for differing from us? Must we demand of him those reasons before we can trust him, and do we really expect him to treat us as an injudicious mother does her faithless children, and explain everything, before we will condescend to take any notice of his views? It was a somewhat lengthy speech, especially for the low-voiced little woman, and her cheeks were brightly flushed when she paused. "'But our conscience is in the way, I tell you,' persisted Mrs. Tyndall, "'and if that insists upon an old folk's supper, and will be appeased with nothing else, shall we trample on our consciences?' This time even Mrs. Roberts laughed a little, and Mrs. Williams said quickly, "'Of course we wouldn't be so rude as to go on with it, since he really does object.' but it seems a little bit provoking. But what shall we do? asked Susie Roberts ruefully. She was to have represented a fair maiden in the days of seventy-six, and had her costume all imagined. Mrs. Sayles answered her brightly. That is a solemn question, Susie. Since an old folk's supper is not to be had, what else is there worth living for? The flames lulled, but there was much unnatural heat left, and many low-murmured disapprovals and uncomfortable words. 
Mrs. Sayles laid aside her sewing presently, and moved quietly and unobtrusively about among the wounded, who scattered in different directions to calm down as best they might. She was a general favorite, and no circle so small but opened to let her in. She had not much to say, only a softly dropped word here and there about the many petty trials and annoyances that a minister had, of which his people knew nothing, of how carefully he had, probably, thought about all these things, of how wide his experience had been, of how careful he felt it necessary to be over what seemed trifles. To Fanny Coleman, the chief soprano singer, she simply said that Mr. Tresevant found that opening anthem last Sabbath morning was very beautiful, just suited to her voice. In short, there wasn't a little knot of ladies gathered again during that evening that the small woman did not contrive to be in their midst for a few minutes and drop her little drops of balm. She did not come in contact with Mr. Tresevant. He stood aloof and eyed her solemnly and suspiciously. It was true he had been tried much in various ways that day, and the trials all pressed about him like a swarm of bees, and he nursed and fed them into vigor. Upstairs in the dressing-room, Mrs. Sayles came in contact with Mrs. Douglas for a minute, and said, as they stood alone together, "'What naughty spirit took possession of you, Julia, that you didn't help us at all?' "'I'm not a saint,' snapped Mrs. Douglas, very much in the tone that she used sometimes to assume toward Dr. Douglas in the days when she was Julia Reed, bookkeeper in Mr. Sayles' factory. "'How do you suppose he answered me when I humbly begged to know whether it was a question of fashionable gambling?' that affected his decision toward the festival. I beg, Mrs. Douglas, that I may hear no more about that affair. The subject is quite exhausted, I think, and I have expressed my views definitely and decisively. Courteous, wasn't it? How did you answer him? With the meekest of bows and absolute silence. Mrs. Sayles turned a pair of bright eyes on her cousin and spoke earnestly. Julia, it was very good and thoughtful in you not to repeat this conversation, when you had such provocation. Thank you, said Mrs. Douglas, in mock humility. I'll tell the doctor that you think I am improving. It will cheer his heart wonderfully. Then, in a tone grown suddenly grave, Abby, what do you suppose is the trouble with Mr. Tresevant? Thus petitioned, Mrs. Sayle stood on tiptoe to reach her cousin's cheek, and, as she touched it, said softly, If I do not tell you what I think, we shall not feel the necessity of talking it over together and, after all, it would only be supposition, you know. Be ye as wise as serpents, quoted Mrs. Douglas, laughing. I just begin to understand that injunction. You and the doctor are living epistles on that subject. Then, very earnestly, you are right, too. I wish we were all more like you. It is an exceedingly small matter to get up a church quarrel over. I'll be as wise as two serpents, see if I am not. It was an exceedingly impudent proceeding, Mr. Tresevant told his wife, as he walked the floor of their own room, still in a disturbed state of mind. I have never been treated in that manner before. The idea of their all but getting up a church festival without having once consulted their pastor. I am quite certain that Mrs. Sayles was the prime mover in the entire affair. But I think I taught her a lesson today. She takes altogether too much on herself. In her dressing-room, her loose blue wrapper folded about her, her fair hair pushed away from her temples, sat Mrs. Sayles, her open Bible on the light-stand before her. She was not reading, only looking at the page and musing, a touch of sadness on her pale, quiet face. Her husband presently ceased his moving about the room, came up beside her, and, gathering one small hand within his own, 
made her finger point to one verse on the page. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. She looked up quickly. Oh, Jerome, did you see, did you hear this afternoon? I both saw and heard, and I thanked God with all my heart that there had been given to me such a wise and patient and careful little wife. Ah, but you are mistaken. I did nothing at all, only just expressed my opinion as the rest did. But it is all so sad. Does the Church of Christ here in Newton really rest upon quicksand, that so small and unimportant a matter can occasion such an excitement, and be the means of so many bitter words? As to that, her husband said gravely, I fear there are people here in Newton, as elsewhere, who place self first, the church next, and Christ last. End of chapter 5 Recording by Tricia G.